friends. Um, we're in a, uh, a little mini-series just before we uh, enter into our summer series as we come back after our uh, Sabbath week. Um, and so this little mini-series is kind of encompassing some just conversations from your pastors. Uh, so you had Sabbath um, from Justin two weeks ago, a great conversation uh, around Mother's Day from Caroline. How amazing was that word? It was so powerful. Uh, and today I get to kind of have a conversation that's so near and dear to my heart around the idea of covenant and kingdom. This idea of how do we participate in the work of heaven now? So uh, many of you know I, I have a four-year-old son. Uh, his name is Noah. He is amazing. He is bright and smart and intelligent and creative and energetic as a four-year-old should be. The, the, his favorite thing in this whole world is just to hang out with me. Uh, to do uh, exactly what I'm doing, wherever I'm doing it in my life. And so that might be cooking or uh, doing driving in the car, running errands, might be doing my basement renovation, it might be doing my yard work renovation, it might be doing all of these things. He just wants to be next to me all the time. I actually have a couple of photos. You can just scan through them as I'm talking. Uh, but the, uh, that's no, I mean, as young as he could, if I was, had a drill in my hand, he had to have a drill in his hand. We actually got him one that kind of looks like mine because he just wants to be around doing the things that I do. Um, the, he, he just wants to participate at whatever level that I will allow him to participate in. Because he has this deep need to be with me and do what I'm doing. That somehow his love for me is expressed by being close to me and being a part of the things that I'm doing. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. It is that our faith, our love for God can actually be demonstrated in our doing. And often we get, we get hung up on that whole idea of doing and we get stumbled by it and we're thinking, oh, we can't do that. We have to all be being. And yes, we do have to center our life on God from a place of being, yet we get to express our love for God in an expression of doing. This is what Jesus said uh, in um, John 5, 17, and then uh, I'll remark a little bit after that. But John 5, 17 says, my father is always at his work, even to this very day. And I, too, am working. This is uh, Jesus talking about uh, how he's interacting with the ministry of the kingdom of God here on earth. Right after that, the, the, the kind of religious leader's like, hey, what are you doing? I really don't understand it. Are you saying that you are like God? And he, he kind of says this, he, his response to them in Verse 17, and if you want to mark it on your notes, feel free. Uh, John 5, 17, 19, and 20. This is what he says in 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Or in another part of the gospel and in other uh, gospels, it says he can only say what he hears the father saying. He only does whatever the father does, and the son also does it. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, he will show you even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So this whole idea that we're having a conversation around is, is how do we participate in the kingdom activity that is at hand? 
I, I still believe that the father, the king, is doing his good work today. That we can actually participate and say, God, if you are working, I want to work too. Just like Noah, that kind of idea of, okay, okay, God, if you're working, I want to be childlike in my connection to you. Can I work alongside you? This actually feels so central to the way that I understand God and the way that I understand my faith. And I was really fortunate to have a, um, a family and specifically a dad that did exactly the same thing that I do for Noah. My dad was a pastor, and at the age that I could do even more than just like building projects around our home, which we did, we built walls and decks, and I have those memories that are connected to his working in our family. He was also a pastor, and so every day and every week, specifically on Sundays, I wanted to be right next to him as he was ministering to the church. And I didn't want to just witness it. I wanted to participate in it. And so at, at, a, at an age that it would have been actually foolish for him to do, he would allow me to participate. That at young, young age, at like seven years old, I'm, I'm walking alongside him as he's praying for people and he's whispering down, Sam, what do you think we should, what do you think we should pray for? And as a seven-year-old, I have no shame or guilt or fear that's wrapped up in my faith. And so I just say things that come from my heart as I feel like Jesus is expressing it this kind of way of participating in the kingdom of God is central to me. I, I, I remember this particular moment when I was uh, 12 years old. My dad, he, he would do different mission trips and he was doing this one big one. And often me and my sisters would get to go, each of us would have one big trip that we would go with him uh, each year. And mine was New Zealand. So I actually won. So, um, so I got to go on the New Zealand trip, uh, which was you're going for at least two weeks, two weeks, I think even three weeks. And I said, dad, can I come with you? He said, yes, of course. Um, but you're going to come, but this is not a vacation. You're going to be on the team. You're going to be the team prophet. And I was like, okay, sounds good. I'm 12 years old. Why not make me the team prophet? You know, there's lots of people who are like, are in ministry doing this thing with him, but why, does, why don't I become the team prophet? So, but each day, my task was to ask the Lord, what are you doing today? What are you doing today, Father? And then I would share it with my dad, and then he would share it with the team, and he would, we would kind of decide what we're gonna do with interacting with that. And I, I still remember that the words that I said from the Father's heart would, would change the conversations that my dad would have. That each, each evening as he was beginning his sermons, he would say, you know, I got, I got, to, I got to start from this point. I, I specifically remember it was this vivid conversation that I was having with the Lord early in the morning around David and Goliath. And I shared it with my dad and he started his sermon with it and it broke some people into freedom. And I was like, this is it. This is it. And so from a young, young age, I was so thankful that I had a family that, that gave me the opportunity to say, hey, you can participate now. You can participate now. And I'm here to say, you can participate now. What's amazing is that my father, my, my, my earthly father, was teaching me how to interact with my heavenly father. And what's awesome is now I get to do that. I, obviously, I don't see my dad. Uh, well, maybe not, obviously. My dad lives in um, Dayton, so I, I don't see him regularly. But I get to do the things that he has taught me to do still. Each day, each, each time I'm thinking about these sermons, I'm thinking, Lord, what are you choosing to do? What are you doing in our midst? How can I 
participate and connect with you. That's what we're talking about. And here's the thing. This idea will be of participating will be frightening for some, and we'll talk about that. But it'll also be freeing for others. That me saying you can participate in the good work of the kingdom of God is the most exciting thing that you've ever heard. And it should be. That the God is, is still working. And we get to be a part of it. That's actually a part of the gospel. It's amazing. It's actually foolish the way that he set it up. It's foolish that we get so much participation. There, there's, um, you, you may know it, um, at the very beginning of the story uh, in, in Genesis, there's these two kind of paradigms that are, that are kind of set up in, in our creation story. And you have, a, you have a few notes on the back side of your note sheet, if, you, if I haven't already said it. There, there's some notes. I will hit some of the points. I'll do my best to hit all of them. But we'll see where we go. Let me take a little sip of water. So Genesis 1.26. This is when God is beginning his creative work in <clears throat> humankind. This is what it says. He says, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Other translations say, let them have rule. So there's this really important thing that is connected to this whole conversation that our image and our opportunity to rule with God are inseparable. That there is a interwoven connectedness that as we get the image of God placed on us, that we actually get to participate in the rule of God as well. That in our becoming is a part of that rule. Maybe you know the term uh, sanctification. This, this kind of word that is connected to becoming like God. Yet I actually, I, I don't love that term uh, often because sanctification becomes a lot more of an inward journey. We often get hung up about saying it's a purification process on the inside of us. That if we have to become sanctified, and yes, we have to do that. There's an Eastern term that is connected to that same process. The Eastern, um, not Eastern religion, but Eastern Orthodox Christian uh, uses the term theosis. And theosis is maybe more helpful because it encompasses more than sanctification. Theosis defined directly is becoming like God. And instead of it just being a purification process, it's what they're saying is that in the becoming like God is a necessary step of participation with the divine. That as we participate with the divine now, we become like the divine. So here's the thing. We all want to get back to this kind of like image of God place. We, we talk about it all the time. We did a 18-month series on image of God. Yet, often when we talk about the image of God, we, forgot, we forget this piece about participation. Yes, he has 
He has placed some values on us that are indistinguishable and unchanging, that we cannot change. Yet, in our journey of becoming more like him, we have to participate. That actually, if we only settle for mental exercises and never allow our body to move towards the kingdom of God, we'll actually never actually be able to do the thing that he wants us to do, which is become like him. Because he said, in our likeness, we get to rule. We get to have dominion. We get to participate. There's this, there's this essential dynamic of as we become like God, we actually get to participate in the kingdom of God. It's so essential in our journey of being formed that as if we actually want this great journey of spiritual formation, it can't just be an ideas that we're having on their inside. We can't just have good thoughts about God and believe that we're gonna become like him. We actually can't even just read our Bible enough and believe that we're gonna become like him. We actually have to begin to live out our faith and begin to look more like him in the world. It's a, it's a scary reality though. But this is what Jesus was talking about. In, um, Jesus shows up on the scene and let me say this first. We're not the first people to forget that God is our king. We're not the first people to forget that there's this participation in the rule of God that we're invited in. The nation of Israel in 1 Samuel 9, uh, right at the end of the kind of the ages of the judges, Samuel, the prophet, he's having this conversation with Yahweh and he's saying, the people have just asked for a king. Are they rejecting me? And God speaking to Samuel says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I was always meant to be their king. Now they'll see what it is like to have a human as their king. Yet I was always meant to be their king. I was always meant to be the one that they came to, to participate in this rule. Jesus steps into this reality of forgetfulness. And we all know that, that Jesus is, is speaking like, speaking to God like he's this father that they've never known. He's using words like Abba and there, it's earth shattering. But he's also using terms like king. So regularly he's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is at hand. That is assuming that there is a king. And it's not Caesar. And it's not anybody who's, it's not the religious leaders. It's Yahweh. That his father is the king. There's this important dynamic that Jesus found. That God is both father and king. And I want us to grasp that because if we understand God as father, yes, we understand the, the unchanging, unconditional love that we get. Yet, if we accept him as king, we actually get to be invited into the rule of God. This is, you know it. Jesus in, in Matthew 9, uh, sorry, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, 
he speaks about God in this way, in this beautiful dynamic of father and king. In his first two lines of the most famous, uh, his famous prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come. Father and king, first two lines. He knew him as father and king. Do we? Do we know him as father and king? This is, this is what he's, this is what he's doing throughout his whole ministry. He is inviting his disciples into participation in the kingdom of God. This, this is what it says. I think you've got this, this passage on your, um, on your paper. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all of the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them or his heart was broken for them because they were harassed or helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest Therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was trying to reveal the goodness of God to all those who interacted with him. Yet to his disciples, he was trying to reveal and invite them into participation in the kingdom of God. Why is that so important? Is because in their journey of discipleship with Jesus, they were becoming more and more greater participants in the kingdom of God so that when Jesus was gone, the kingdom of God had kept on going. This is the whole strategy. Because if they weren't invited into participation, when Jesus is gone, the kingdom of God stops. If they weren't ever invited into the participation in the kingdom, to, in, to, to participate in the stuff that Jesus does, then when Jesus goes away, the kingdom activity stops. But what we know is that it continues because the disciples picked up on the invitation to participate with the kingdom of God. And that's our invitation still, is that the harvest is plentiful. There's good work for us to do. Can we participate with the king? There's this, there's this amazing invitation and it feels almost ridiculous for us to grasp. But it's throughout the whole gospels. We can see it that, that the disciples are, are growing in their participation through and through. You think about the feeding of the 5,000. Feeding of the 5,000 is, is one of those stories where, where we think Jesus does the miracle, but somehow maybe it was in the hands of the disciples. If you know the story, Jesus breaks the bread, he blesses it, and then gives it to the disciples. And actually, they're the ones who administer the, the bread, and, bread and fish. It begins to multiply, not in Jesus' hands, but in the disciples' hands. That they're beginning to participate in the kingdom of God, in one of the most amazing miracles that is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. What about when um, he sends them out? in two by twos, uh, in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. Why is he doing that? He's training them in the participation of the kingdom. 
He's training them and they come back and they're like, Jesus, it's crazy out there. Did you know when we say in Jesus' name, things happen? It's crazy. It's like real crazy. And, it, and it's not for, it, yes, it is for the sake of those around, but who is it mostly for? It's for the disciples to put their trust and love in Jesus even greater. Who's ever, who's ever been on a uh, mission trip? Yeah, like good Christians, you've been on mission trips. Way to go. So what, what happens on a mission trip? Almost inevitably, this is the conversation that happens on a mission trip. You go on a mission trip, if it's in your city or in your country or around the world, wherever it is, and you begin to participate and you serve and you, um, you work on some things, you maybe feed some of the, those who are hungry, you do the Jesus gospel stuff. And you come back and people are like, how was it? Like, yeah, it was amazing. Like we, we got to work with some people and it was incredible, but I can't, I can't, I can't tell you, I, I feel closer to God. I can't tell you, but I, I feel like there's, there's a trust and a faithfulness that I'm experiencing more than I've ever had. When I began to step out, I, oh, whoa, it was amazing. I, I, I was received with such grace. I, I actually have never known a God like this. And what we find is, is, again, it's not for, participation is not for the sake of those you're interacting with, but it's actually for your forming. And that's what I want for us. As a pastor of this church, I want us to be formed into the likeness of Christ, and we have to participate in the kingdom of God to do that. We have to. It's just like inevitable. We just, it is a part of the, the formula. As we, as we begin to step out, we become formed into God's likeness. And again, it's not for those that we're sent to. Yes, it is amazing that some will hear the call, but what we hear over and over again, it's God who does that work. Our work is just to step out in faith and we get formed in that stepping. It's, it's just an incredible journey. So why, why would we not do this? Why would we not participate? And I think the, the two reasons why we would not participate in this is two central fears. One is our, our, our deep fear of failure. That somehow wrapped up into this idea is a subtle truth that we've begun to, or a subtle lie that we've begun to believe is that if, if God wants me to participate then maybe there's a connection between how much he loves me and how well I do in my participation. And, and if that's true, then I've really got to do a good job so that he can love me a lot. And so is it dependent on my perfection or is it or how well I do? <coughs> Hear me on this. God doesn't need your perfection. He has enough perfection for both of you. All he's desiring is your participation and your trusting in his perfection. Hear me, he doesn't need your perfect way of doing it. He's so perfect that he can make your stumbling even a good thing. That's how great he is. That even in our fumbling around, looking around, figuring it out, he's gonna see that he is glorified because he's that perfect. All he's asking for us to do is participate. 
The other fear that I feel like we have is, is that if we begin this journey of doing the simple thing of kingdom activity, which if I was gonna name it just simply, the thing that I would, I would call us all to is simply waking up each day and saying, Jesus, what do you have for me today? That will change your life, radically involve you in the kingdom of God. If you just say, hey, King, you got anything for me to do today? Radically change. It's not, you don't have to do anything crazy. You just have to simply show up each day. But there's a fear in there that if you continue to do that, eventually your life will look like a life that you don't want. That you'll have to give up too many things. That if you start on this journey, then the, the journey's end will be you in Africa. And you'll be like, oh gosh, I really didn't want to be here. Let me, let me tell you, there are people that are called and their forming is designed to be missionaries in Africa. And that's incredible. We need those people. Yet, it's probably not your story. Your story and your forming probably looks more like being kind to the widows down your street. Being the person who looks after your coworkers when they're depressed reaches out to your family when there's crisis, prays for those that are in need, sows generously into the kingdom of God. What you need to know is that you have a good God who's the father who also has good work for you to do that's not gonna destroy your life. These, these, these rooted fears the first one, the first one is, is, is rooted in this simple idea that you aren't as good as God claims you to be. That idea of perfection is, is, is rooted in the idea that you're not actually as good as Jesus says you are. He says that you're good enough. You don't have to do anything more. The other lie is rooted in that you not believing that God claims, it is as good as he claims to be. That God is good, he's not gonna destroy your life. That you can trust in, in what he's calling you into. Here's the thing. We don't have to get it perfectly. And we'll grow in our participation. We'll grow in our, uh, in our opportunities. I think about my experience with Noah and, and my experience with my dad. I'm, I'm learning what his capacity is. The father, the king, is, he knows your capacity. And maybe there's a desire to do more. Great, hold that desire. Hold that passion and take it to the king. And say, Jesus, I want to I do more in your kingdom. Awesome. Show up each day and say, Father, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me today? Remembering that this is what Jesus said for us to do. This is, if I'm going to come back to any of the verses, that John 5, 17, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. If you're um, really practically, 
if you're looking for a family or a community practice, maybe you're in a house church or you have a kids or whatever, the simplest thing that you can do to interact with the kingdom of God each day is to do this, is to do highs and lows and prayers with your community. Why do I say that? It, I mean, it sounds sillyly silly. I mean, it's so simple. Do what's been your high, what's been your low, and is there anything in your life that God wants you to pray for? And if you consistently do that, what you'll see is that the script of your life is intersected with the kingdom of God. Don't do it occasionally, do it consistently. Because what will happen is, is the things that were your lows become your highs and now become praises. The things that you offered to your community and say, hey, we really need to pray for my aunt. She's, she's got some sickness in her body. You can come the next day and say, hey, we've got to praise. My high is that my aunt's good. Or even in the low, hey, my, my, my aunt is not okay. She actually is now with Jesus. She's passed away. What happens at that moment is that your community comes and they actually become even stronger in the kingdom work of grieving. That all we have to do to participating in the kingdom of God is to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that journey, and that, that's, that's what I learned to do. At my family's table, with our family's table, is to simply train, if you want the theological understanding, it's the eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom at hand. Best way to do it. Highs and lows and prayers. Cool? All right, this is, Band, you can, you can come up to the stage. This is, this is where Jesus ended his ministry. In Luke, in Luke 22, after he's beginning to train his disciples in the participation with the kingdom of God, this is how he ends it. And this is what I want you to hear today. In Luke 22, 29 through 30, this is what he says. He says, I confer or I give you a kingdom. Hear that. I confer, I give you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. I confer on you a kingdom. Just as my father gave me one. Come eat and drink at my kingdom's table. The best way that I think we could respond, there's communion all around this room. And often we come to communion in that kind of personal sanctification kind of idea of like, let me come and become holy in that. And I think that's amazing and, and, and profound. Yet today, I want you to grasp the idea that Jesus is, is offering his disciples in this moment that this is the beginning of the kingdom banquet. That this actually is the beginning, the, the, the table that is set before us is the first fruits of the kingdom banquet that he's inviting everybody to participate in. That the bread and wine is the thing that we get to share in the kingdom of God. That there's this, there will be this great day, this heavenly banquet, that the kingdom is all at hand. And we'll see all of the fruits of it. And we'll get to enjoy forever and ever. But right now, the first tastes of the kingdom of God are here.
And as we take them into our bodies, what we're doing is we're accepting the invitation to participate. To say, Jesus, I want more of your kingdom. I want more of your kingdom here on this earth. I desire a greater level of participation with you. There'll be communion, like I said, all around the room. There's a helpful slide here. Also, we'll have some ministry team uh, over here on this wing. And, and there's, there's two people or two groups of people I, I wanna just specifically identify. If you have any other needs, please go and get some prayer. I would love that. But maybe you fall into these two categories and you wanna get some prayer or you wanna take some time to reflect. The first is those people who feel the freedom to participate. That when I say, hey, you can participate, it actually feels like a complete return. It feels like the most exciting thing that you've ever heard in your life. It feels like the gospel has just come to you for the first time again. And I want you to almost accept it, claim it, seal it in your heart. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, you're saying, I'm in. I'm in to participate, Jesus. If this is what you're doing and is this the way you're gonna form me, I'm in. And just have that conversation with the Lord. And here's one that is way more specific and it may only be one or two people in the room. That when I begin to talk about this participation, is that there is a, a latent call to ministry in somebody's heart. And this is not what I'm talking about. This, is, this kind of participation is for everybody. It's not for those who stand on stages or work at churches or are the professional Christians. Yet, there is somebody in this room who's saying, gosh, oh man, there it is again. My deep desire to give my life in a particular way towards ministry. If that's you, I would love for you to get prayer. I'd love for, to pray for you specifically. The kingdom of God is at hand. We get the opportunity to accept the invitation to participate or not. It's free, it's a free invitation. It's not a salvation thing. You don't, you've already been saved. You've already got all the things that you need. Yeah, it's just the extra. This is the cherry on top of the Christian life. That we actually get to do this thing. We don't have to. There's no compulsion. It's just a simple invitation. Do you want to work with your dad? Do you want to work with your dad on the, on the healing of the world? Come participate. 